So we're moving into our time of um, hearing this morning. Uh, we're going to, in a minute we're going to hear the Bible reading and then we're going to hear Duncan uh, preach to us. And then after that we actually, if you can notice down the front we have our table here, we're going to share in a time of communion as well. Um, before we move into that part of our service, um, we're going to pray. Father, we just uh, pray that today that you will soften our hearts that, Father, that we'll hear your word read and your word preached this morning, and that might cut right into, into our hearts, that through your teaching and through your word that you will speak to us, that you will both encourage us and build us up and also challenge us in what we, what we think and what we believe and how we act. Father, this morning, Father, we just give thanks for your powerful word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being dis disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Um, we'll have to do without slides, as, uh, as we know this morning. Um, uh, so it will be helpful if you do have a Bible to have uh, it open in front of you. If you've got sort of someone near you with one, maybe you can share because they won't be up on the screen. 
uh, the text for this morning. But um, uh, before we get into it, though, a very quick, another quick announcement from me, which is uh, musicians or those who would like to um, hear about the music ministry at the church, we do have a meeting this, uh, today after morning tea, 11.45, just in the building out there. So if you're in the music team or you'd like to think about joining it, you're interested in it, then uh, come to that meeting, 11.45. Um, be great to have you there. Okay, uh, well, um, family meals, that's what we're thinking about today. Family meals are one of life's great joys, aren't they? They can be. Um, you might think of family holidays, Christmas time, which sort of just come out of that holiday period. Everyone's enjoying the special meal, the, you know, the jokes and the memories are flowing, the conversation's getting going. Um, there's, there's very few things that are as good as that, right? There's something about that moment that's like an expression of a family's love, of their unity together. But of course, family meals can also be more difficult than that, can't they? Um, and some of us, for some of us, maybe this is more your experience. Uh, they can be an expression not of unity, but of divisions and hurts that have built up over a long period of time. Uh, instead of kind of relaxed times where you just enjoy one another's company, they can be tense, can't they? Uh, with unspoken issues bubbling away under the surface. Or well, something like that, something like that was going on in this church in Corinth, um, uh, in this gathering of Christians meeting in someone's home there. Uh, when they gathered, they would normally meet, in, they'd often meet and eat a meal together. Um, but this was no kind of relaxed, joy-filled family meal. And, and Paul has something pretty harsh to say to them. So um, verse 17 uh, Paul says this, and he starts this section with a bit of a, uh, a harsh word. He says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. I mean, imagine if someone, uh, imagine someone saying that about your church gatherings, right? Not only that they have some quirks, sometimes the screen doesn't work, uh, there's some faults, and you know, you, you, but not only that, but you, you go away worse than when you came. Um, it'd be better for it not to have happened at all. It's it kind of hard to imagine a more negative um, uh, comment or verdict that Paul has about these gatherings of these Christians. Uh, but the big issue here is one that Paul's already talked about right back in chapter 1. There's, there's these factions growing in the community. And if you've been with us the last couple of years looking through 1 Corinthians, you'll remember that's what's going on in this church. There's factions going on. And he picks it up again in verse 18. So if you've got your Bibles, have a look at verse 18. He says, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. I, I think he's probably being sarcastic there, kind of copying what they thought about themselves, some groups having God's approval and others not. But, but you get the picture. There's these divisions. They're coming together physically, but they're not actually coming together in any real meaningful way. Uh, people are treating each other harshly. They're forming different cliques. And one clique's looking down on another clique because they're not in their in-group. And it's all wrapped up with what's happening when they eat together. When they eat together. So look at verse 20. Paul writes, So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Um, 
so the city of Corinth that this is written to, it had a really diverse population. They reckon around one third of Corinth was freeborn um, and sort of wealthy uh, members. And about two thirds of the city were either slaves or they had once been slaves. Um, and, and Paul had come, uh, if you remember that story back in Acts where we looked at that, Paul had come and shared the wonderful news of Jesus with this, with this city, with the city of Corinth. The news that all people can be freed from sin and brought into a right relationship with God, not by being impressive in themselves, not by performing religious works, but by grace alone, because of what Jesus had done for them alone through faith, trusting in him alone. And that meant the church had this unique makeup, unlike any other community. It broke down all of the social barriers, all the racial barriers of the world around them. Uh, and anyone could come. So you'd have, I mean, and imagine those meetings, right? You have a, a, a master, a freeborn, wealthy master, sitting alongside a slave, equal in Christ. Um, anyone could trust Christ as their saviour and Lord and become part of his family. And the real problem Paul aims at is the thing that's come up again and again in this letter. We've seen it over and over again. This church um, that was so loved by God and, and, and Paul had shared the gospel with, this church, Paul is so concerned for them because they're letting themselves be more shaped by their culture than by Christ. They're living more as citizens of Corinth than as citizens of Jesus' kingdom, united in him. So it seems like what would happen is that the Christians would meet in each other's homes regularly through the week um, in smaller groups, but they'd also often gather as a larger group in one of the larger homes. Uh, there's a guy, uh, probably in a, uh, the house of a guy named Gaius, who we meet in earlier in this letter and also in Acts but on the day they arranged to all meet together, uh, so you can picture the scene, right? The, the richer members of the church, they turn up with their picnic campers. They've got their smashed avo, their smoked salmon, their fine wine. And because they're rich, they can come, uh, they can come whenever they want. So they turn up early and they get the best spots uh, and they just start digging in. But the poorer members, uh, and you know, maybe those who are slaves, they, couldn't, they just couldn't leave their, their work whenever they wanted to. Um, they could only get away when they could, and they didn't, they didn't have any food to bring. So you imagine them kind of ringing the doorbell and being shown into the foyer, and then they, they kind of stand hungrily at the door of the dining room while, while the rich ones around the table are just picking out and getting drunk. And the, the poorer people there, they, they're humiliated by this. The people who are on the outer, the people who aren't part of this feast, they're, it was humiliating for them. And Paul, do you notice, see what Paul says in verse 22? Um, if you've got your Bibles open there, verse 22. Uh, he says, what's happening there is not just thoughtlessness. In ver these people doing this, they're actually despising the church of God by doing this. They're actually despising the church of God. Just notice there how he emphasises it's God's church, not theirs. They're supposed to be eating the Lord's Supper, not their own private meal. 
Because Jesus had actually given them a meal to eat together, right? Jesus had given them a meal to eat together. And that's where Paul goes to next. He takes them back to the meal they should have been sharing in verse 23. So verse 23, if you've got it there, have a look. I'll read it um, down to verse 26. He says, he takes them back to this meal that they should have been sharing. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is, that's the meal behind their meals. Jesus had what's called, what gets called the Last Supper, Jesus' Last Supper before he was betrayed. And at that meal, Jesus had given to his disciples this powerful, symbolic way of remembering what he was about to do for them as he went to the cross and died for their sins. But if you read, if you, if you go into that meal, the Last Supper, you actually find out that there's another meal behind that meal. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's layers of meals going on here. There's another, that Last Supper of Jesus and his disciples, it was happening at the time of the Jewish Passover. You might know that. Uh, the, the Passover festival uh, was all about God's great salvation in the Exodus. Might, you, you might be familiar with the story. Um, we're actually going to look at this in more detail next term. So next term, we're going to look at the whole book of Exodus uh, over the term. Really looking forward to that. But Abraham's descendants were enslaved in Egypt. This is the, the, the kind of background. They're enslaved in Egypt, and God rescues them in this incredible way. He sends his judgment on the land of Egypt. But anyone who had sacrificed a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, his judgment passed over their house. And, and this Passover meal remembered that moment. It was there to kind of etch it into their hearts and their minds so they'd always live shaped by it. This covenant God entered into with them through Moses. Um, over time, this kind of form of words was developed that they'd use. So, for example, um, that when they'd pass bread around, the unleavened bread, they'd say to one another, this, or sorry, the, the host of the meal would say, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. All those who are hungry, let them enter and eat. Okay, so that's the meal behind the meal behind the meal. Oh, no, is that too many? That's, that's the meal in the background. That's behind Jesus' Last Supper. That's behind the Lord's Supper. And can you imagine Jesus and his disciples sitting down at Passover time, right? The high point of the year for the people of Israel. Imagine Jesus sitting down at that time and, and can just imagine the shock as the bread gets passed around and Jesus says, instead of this is the bread of our affliction, what does he say? This is my body which is given for you. This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See what he's doing? He takes the most important tradition of the Jewish people and turns it on its head. Actually, he turns it into, onto himself. That's what he's doing here. He turns it onto himself. 
He's saying from now on, you have a new exodus, a new covenant to remember and to live under. Uh, That first exodus, that first covenant with Moses, they were just shadows. They were signs pointing towards this true and greater exodus, this greater salvation, this new and better covenant. He's saying, I am the Lamb of God, slain for you, who shields you from the righteous judgment of God, who brings you to a true and better promised land to be my people forever in my eternal kingdom. Okay, it's a lot of background, but this meal the Corinthians were sharing was meant, to, was meant to point them to that. That incredible grace and what, that incredible moment of Jesus, our Passover lamb, slain for us. That's what it was meant to do. It was meant to remember the gospel. Okay, well, there's, there's lots that we could talk about here. As heaps that um, Christians have talked about over the centuries, what exactly should this meal look like? What should we call it? How often should it be done? Lots of different thoughts on that that have developed in different uh, traditions and churches. We do get some guidelines in Scripture, but I think there's some freedom here too. So apart from this passage that we're looking at today and a passage in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, there's really not much at all in the New Testament about it. Uh, It seems that the early church would share this meal regularly, often enough that it became a real problem in Corinth, so they changed that Passover once a year thing to a regular meal. So, yeah, it was often enough that it it became a real problem. Uh, It gets called the Lord's Supper in this passage. Um, If you look at verse 24, the word for uh, given thanks, when he had given thanks, that's the word that um, some traditions take the name Eucharist from in the Greek. Uh, the name communion get, comes mainly from how it's talked about in chapter 10. So, there's, look, there's different names, right? And they all kind of say something uh, a little bit different. Uh, some people eat a fuller meal, some traditions. Most churches like us have adopted a more pared-back version that focuses on the symbolism uh, and not on the meal itself. Uh, and as I said, I think there's some freedom there. I think one of the dangers in doing it our, our way Uh, is that the Lord's Supper can become kind of more of a formal, uh, ritualised thing for us that that we kind of just take in without thinking. And we can forget that it's meant meant to drive us to live out this reality that it's pointing us to. Uh, So we we need to be aware of kind of some of the ways in which this can be unhelpful, um, uh, ways that elevate the meal uh, in ways that take away the sufficiency of the gospel, It is possible to become more focused on the sign than the one it's pointing to. Wouldn't that be a tragedy, to be more focused on the sign than the reality that the sign points us to? That would be to make an idol out of it, and that would be to dishonour Christ and the fullness of what he has won for us. Especially, friends, if you start thinking that your assurance and your salvation is somehow tied to the act of taking the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a gift, a wonderful gift, given to strengthen uh, and deepen your trust in Christ, not given to replace it, if that makes sense. It's given to strengthen your trust in him, not to replace it. The meal itself isn't the main thing. It's what it points to that's important. And what it points us to is Jesus. Did you get that in the passage? What it points us to is Jesus. Notice how that comes out. 
Um, we do it in remembrance of him, of him. The Lord's the Supper looks back to Jesus' death as the foundational moment of God's salvation. It also looks forward, right? It kind of looks back, remembers, it looks forward. We do it until he comes. Notice that in those, in those verses. Uh, but it also looks out here and now. It looks back, forward, it looks out here and now. We proclaim the Lord's death to one another. We proclaim this reality to the ongoing presence of Christ in his body. And that's actually, that third one, looking out one another here today, that's actually what's in focus in this passage. What Paul, this isn't actually primarily a passage about all the nuts and bolts of the Lord's Supper. There's something actually far more important driving Paul here as he talks, as he's writing. Um, It's the issue he started with and he returns to it in verse 27. So have a look at verse 27 there. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Uh, For quite a while I thought this, and um, I, I, I do hear this, um, as a reading, sometimes this is read as an individualistic thing, if that makes sense. So we should each individually examine our own hearts our own, for unconfessed sin before we take the Lord's Supper. Now, that would be a good thing to do. <laughs> but actually, I think, uh, what, uh, uh, can you see how in the context, uh, that's not actually what Paul's talking about. It's not actually what's in focus for Paul. What he talks, when he talks about discerning the body, discerning the body of Christ, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the church, the actual people, the actual bodies gathered together, crammed into that home in Corinth, sitting together here and now. (laughs) He's talking about the church. That's what what he's going to go on and talk about in chapter 12, uh, this body of Christ that all works together to serve him, united in him. They were eat- so this is what's going on, right? These people were eating this meal that was, that was supposed to be in remembrance of Christ, but all the while they were despising Christ's body. That's the issue. They were supposed to be remembering Christ, but in their actions they were despising his body. That's what it means to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. This meal that was all about God's transforming grace to them while they were undeserving sinners. They were having it, but all the while they were harboring divisions and bitterness and pride in their hearts. And Paul's really strong here. He's really pressing the point. When you do that, when you foster these divisions, you are sinning against the very body and blood you're supposed to be remembering. In verse 27 there, literally it says, the one who does this is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's like they are on the side of those who crucified Jesus. It's almost like they're re-crucifying him. I'm not sure if that's the right, I've put that in the outline, I'm not sure if that's the right thing to, way to put it, but I'm just trying to get across the, the intensity of what Paul's saying here, how serious this is. 
You sin against a brother or sister in Christ. You sin against Christ himself. That's what this is saying. It, it's a little bit like, I think, you know, someone sins against uh, one of my family. Um, and there's a way, in, a real way in which they're actually sinning against me as well. You can't hurt them without hurting me. You can't sin against a member of the body of Christ without sinning against Christ himself. It's so serious that Paul says in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, to this body, we would not come under such judgment. So they'd, they'd failed to discern, to see clearly the body for what it really was. They, they were cruel and thoughtless in their treatment of one another, and it led to judgment. It led to many being weak and sick and some dying. Now, that's a really interesting verse, isn't it? Maybe I'm sure you had good conversations in home groups around that one. What's going on there? Well, I think we need to remember what's going on in Corinth. So the picture is people are despising one another. They're not caring for one another. Some have plenty and many others are in desperate need. And I think Paul is probably saying here that in this church, the sick are not being cared for. And people are dying because of it. Um, one of the ways the judgment of God is pictured in the Bible is of God handing people over to their sin. Um, handing people over to the kind of consequence of their sin. I, I think that's probably in view here. The sin of this community, not discerning the body of Christ, had real consequences here and now. And God has handed this church over to those consequences if they had been more discerning, if they had learnt to see one another truly, rightly, as the body of Christ, they would have treasured one another, wouldn't they? They would have looked after each other and that judgment wouldn't, wouldn't have come on them. But it has come on them and, and Paul wants them to know that this is it's not just a kind of natural, like it is actually from God, it is a judgment, but it's his fatherly discipline. Uh, verse 32, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. See, what's going on, this judgment, this sickness and death, it, it wasn't a sign God had abandoned them, it was actually a sign of his Discipline, which is an outworking of his love, right? His fatherly care for them, to bring them back, to lead them to repentance and a way of living together that was shaped by the cross, not by the proud and selfish ways of Corinth. Well, um, Paul gives, uh, after that kind of long um, thing he writes, uh, he gives really quite a simple application of this, doesn't he, in verse 33. So, when you get together, wait for one another. Eat together. Eat together as a body. That's his outworking. It's a simple instruction, but it's, do you see what's going on there? By doing that, it's actually a sign of something much deeper. It's a sign of a much deeper commitment to one another. And that's what Paul's really driving at a sign of a deeper relationship. It would, sh it would show that they were discerning the body of Christ. They were 
paying attention to one another in that body. They were seeking to love one another as Christ had loved them. Well, what about for us? Um, We're not in the same danger of kind of pigging out at the Lord's Supper uh, as this church in Corinth were. But we we still do have the same underlying danger, don't we? Um, it's all to do with how we see one another in our church family, in this body of Christ gathered here. It's all to do with how we view one another. So, look around at one another. I know it's a bit weird, but you know, just have a quick look. See the people, the actual people who are gathered together today. Have a look. You can wave if you want. What do you see? When you do that, when you go out for morning tea and everyone's sort of gathered around, what, what do you see? Do you see a group of strangers? Uh, it's, it is possible to be in a church and not really know anyone apart from a few people that you happen to click with. It's possible to view church basically as an individualistic thing, kind of a bit of a spiritual lift that you get at times. If there's nothing better on. But that, would, that way of viewing the body would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? If you were discerning this body rightly. If you saw in this gathering the precious body of Jesus for whom he died. And that you are bound together with in him. Maybe you see people who you have sinned against been thoughtless towards, even cruel at times towards. Maybe you just see people who are so different from you, or maybe you see people that, you, when you're honest, you'd actually look down upon. Whatever it is, God's word to us today is to receive the Lord's discipline, his training, that's what discipline's about, and his instruction through his word, to reshape your vision for one another in our church family, to give you a new way to see your brothers and sisters in Trinity Church, Victor Harbour. Because how you treat Jesus' body is how you treat him. You can't separate the two. Especially when we share in the Lord's Supper, We need to hear the warning not to eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And maybe God has sort of prodded your conscience today and you know that you have a relationship that's in trouble with someone in our church family. So does that, I don't think that means you, you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper, but take it with a repentant heart, remembering God's undeserved grace to you and make it a priority to seek Peace. Ask forgiveness. Look for reconciliation. Uh, How we gather together matters. How you kind of walk in from the car park to this gathering of the Lord's people matters. I think one simple way for all of us to discern the body is simply to pray as we come together week by week 
to pray that God will give you the right eyes to see one another in this church, to have eyes that are opened and turned towards others and not sort of turned inwards on ourselves. But the ultimate answer to this, friends, as with everything in this letter, remember the whole letter is framed by the cross and resurrection. It's all about the gospel. The ultimate answer is the gospel. This wonderful news that the Lord's Supper proclaims and reminds us of, it has to flow out into a radically different kind of community. When it's taken seriously, when it's lived in, when it's loved, it has to flow out into a a community that's based on grace and truth and forgiveness and self-giving love. One where we see each other and we relate to one another as we truly are, the body of Jesus Christ, precious to him and redeemed by his blood. So come to him today, friends. Come back to him as we gather and as we share in the Lord's Supper to the complete assurance and peace that is yours in him because of his blood shed for you. And in the security of Christ, learn to love his body deeply and from the heart. Let's pray. Our Father, please keep us from this sin of failing to discern the body of your Son, our Lord Jesus. We pray, our God, that the gospel might be so real to us. Um, And as we share the Lord's Supper today, that you might do that in our own hearts. But Father, we pray that that will flow out into genuine relationships shaped by the cross of Christ and not by the proud and selfish culture around us. Lord, give us grace to put this into practice um, and help us to know your grace to us, that it might fuel us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.